0: Hello and welcome to INS's Talking in Vain. This is part two of our three-part series entitled Demystifying Gout. Today's episode is brought to you by an educational grant from Horizon Pharma and is titled Demystifying Gout Diagnosis and Management. I'm Dawn Barrent, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS. I would like to introduce our guest for this series, Vicky Sales. Vicki is the Clinical Nurse Manager for the Department of Rheumatic and Immunologic Diseases at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation in Cleveland, Ohio. She is board certified in ambulatory nursing, rheumatology nursing, and infusion nursing. Vicki currently serves as treasurer for the Rheumatology Nurse Society. She has presented at various conferences in the United States, speaking on subjects such as infusion nursing, infusion medications, biologic drugs, and biosimilar drugs. Vicki, we are delighted to have you again today as our guest.
1: Vicki, thank you for joining us again today on Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. Um, let's review a bit about bit of what you covered um, in our last session when we when you introduced Gout to us.
2: In our last session, we talked about the pathophysiology of gout, the population prevalence of gout, and what role food plays in uric acid development, which is normally passed through your urine. When the kidneys are unable to excrete uric acid normally, a buildup may form, resulting in kidney stones or gout. The overall prevalence of gout is about 4% in the United States population, but African-Americans Hmong, Chinese, and New Zealand Maori and Polynesian populations are higher at a higher risk. Gout is more common as we age, and men experience the disease more than women. Several comorbidities increase its prevalence, and both hereditary and diet play a role in this prevalence.
1: Yeah, so last time we talked, we learned that purines, um, uh, a dietary factor, uh, foods that are high in purines, uh, put us more at risk. Uh, we learned that we need to stick with all of the healthy foods, healthy oils, and we also need to um, make sure that we're just eating an overall healthy diet and dairy products that are lower in fat. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly?
2: Yes, you are, and and decrease um, red meat constru- um, consumption.
1: Oh yes, mm-hmm.
2: um, and alcohol consumption.
1: And cons- oh, and I remember now. Coffee isn't such a bad thing for <laughs> for right. for the. Uh, Diet, as far as gout is concerned. Okay, so we're we're not going to take any other stand on coffee, just that we can have it and that it might be helpful um, in preventing gout. <laughs> <In moderation. laughs> okay, in so you also introduced us to a case study with a patient whom at the end of our last session was exhibiting some gout-like symptoms. Are we going to continue that study today?
2: Yes, we are going to continue following Mike's journey. For our listeners' assurance, we want to let you know this case study has been de-identified and modified to ensure we are not sharing information that might violate HIPAA standards. Near the end of today's podcast, we are going to find out more related to Mike's diagnosis.
1: Okay, so let's jump right in then. How is gout diagnosed?
2: So the foolproof way for a physician to diagnose gout is to see the patient during an, an acute episode. During that acute episode of gout, the physician is able to drain fluid from the affected joint and look at that fluid under a microscope to actually see the uric acid crystals. If a patient is unable to get to the physician during an attack, gout can also be diagnosed by x-ray, deposit of uric acid crystals under the skin, which are TOFI, which we talked about in our last podcast, Mm -hmm. and also by obtaining a blood uric acid level. Um, That blood uric acid level isn't always accurate, though.
1: Okay. So my question then, is uric acid always elevated, and is that a given?
2: Um, no. Uric acid may not always be elevated in blood during an acute attack. In that case, physical symptoms along with joint fluid will aid in diagnosis. In addition, of joints or directly over a TOFI will assist in determining gout as the cause of the inflammation. Also, dual energy CAT scans can detect the presence of urate crystals in a joint even when the patient is not experiencing an acute attack.
1: Oh. oh, okay. So this is interesting. So it sounds like we have two sets of indicators then, the patient's symptoms and physical presentation and the test results from labs, imaging, or fluid analysis.
2: Exactly.
1: Okay. So now that we know a little bit more about how gout is diagnosed, and that it's not always straight up a little bit tricky we need to do some digging um hopefully that's hypothetical digging let's 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 go into managing gout um uh let's talk a little bit now about how gout is managed
2: okay so treatment for gout generally involves medication aimed at treating the condition first line of defense includes using non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as like ibuprofen and naproxen, mm. as well as prescription NSAIDs such as indomethacin and Celebrex.
1: Oh, Physician,
2: okay. yeah, physicians generally begin with higher doses to stop the acute attack, followed by reduced doses to prevent
1: future attacks. Okay. So they need to kind of get in there right away with a higher dose, and then maybe we can reduce it as things get a little bit better and it is my understanding that gout is very, very painful. Um, are there other medications that are prescribed to help manage the pain associated with gout?
2: Yes, um, gout is extremely painful um, from from the patients I have seen. It, it is just awful. Um, some medications include colchicine. That's recommended to relieve gout pain. High doses of this drug may cause some nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Which could reduce the patient compliance with taking the medication. Mm. Um, corticosteroids, you know, such as prednisone, um, may also be prescribed for those who are unable to take NSAIDs or colchicine. But side effects include high blood pressure and elevated blood sugar level.
1: Okay, so there's so, always a. It does seem like there's always just a little bit of a, a challenge with any type of drug. There are some side effects. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Dickie, are there medications that might decrease the chances of gout recurrence?
2: Yes. Um, uh, treatment includes prescribing drugs which block uric acid production such as allopurinol or euloric. These medications may lower the body's the blood's uric acid level and reduce the incidence of gout attacks. Unfortunately, side effects, again, can occur with these drugs including low blood cell counts and reduced liver function. Okay. And we don't want to reduce reduce blood counts because then you then you're more susceptible to infections.
1: Okay, sure, sure. And we and certainly don't want to affect the liver if possible right. either.
2: And and next, medications such as probenicid and lacinurad may be added to improve the body's ability to excrete the uric acid through the kidneys. The side effects of these medications include stomach pain and kidney stones.
1: Okay. Okay. So so it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal. It's it's not an easy road to walk with um, gout and gout management. Um, it sounds as though these medications, though, everything that you've listed so far are, are oral meds. Are there any medications that are administered intravenously?
2: Yes, there is one medication and only one medication um, that is administered intravenously for gout. If none of the medications that I previously mentioned control the prevalence of gout attacks, Pegloticase or cristexa may be added to the treatment regimen. So Cristexa it's an intravenous medication used in adults to help reduce the signs and symptoms of gout that are not controlled by other treatments. This ju- drug changes uric acid into a substance that the body can get rid of easily to help relieve gout symptoms. Cristexa is given by IV infusion every two weeks but cannot be used with other uric acid-reducing treatments. A special blood test called a G6PD must be evaluated prior to its use, and uric acid levels must be tested before each treatment with Christexa. Mm. Christexa has potential side effects such as gout flare-ups, allergic reactions, nausea, chest pain, and vomiting.
1: Okay, so it also has its share of side effects. So it's, it's interesting that it produces a gout flare-up, uh, perhaps. It
2: does. It can in the first few treatments, generally, um, once the uric acid is reduced, those um, the gout flare-ups are reduced also.
1: Okay, okay. So treatment might involve trialing a number of medications, then, to manage pain and the reoccurrence of gout.
2: Yes, very true. For some patients, management requires only moderate intervention. For others, more aggressive pharmacological treatment is necessary. Let's not forget our earlier discussion about non-pharmacologic measures to manage gout as well. Um, That includes diet modification and or weight loss, limiting alcohol consumption, and and that's particularly important in the acute phase of gout.
1: Okay. All right. Very good. So... Let's go back and revisit our case study now, if that's okay with you. Our patient, Mike, um, we've given him that name. He's 47 years old. He came to the healthcare setting with some pain and some swelling in his right big toe. Um, He had some labs drawn, and the provider has taken a fluid sample from his swollen joint. What happens next?
2: Okay, so Mike came back to the office two weeks after his initial appointment. So the physician went over his x-rays, which showed osteoarthritis in his shoulders and significant TOFI in his hands. His uric acid level was 7.9, and his hemoglobin and hematocrit were 10.3 and 32.6, mm-hmm. respectively. All other labs were normal. Okay. So my... When he came back, Mike was very surprised that its uric acid was elevated since they had tested it several times in the past when he had presented with pain in various joints.
1: So it sounds like people had already, some providers had already suspected gout for Mike when he was complaining of other type of joint pain.
2: It looks like they suspected it, but he was most likely in an acute phase of gout when he went, so his uric acid, um, again, may not have been elevated. So they they were testing for all types of autoimmune diseases mm. since the incidence seemed to resolve with prednisone treatment.
1: Oh, okay. okay. So they
2: were thinking, you know, maybe rheumatoid arthritis with the, the tophi in his hands, they may have been thinking they were nodules, rheumatoid nodules, oh. and since since the prednisone would lower his inflammatory response, they were thinking, okay, it must be rheumatoid arthritis. Although he didn't have an elevated rheumatoid factor, you can also have rheumatoid arthritis um, in which your um, rheumatoid factor is not elevated. Mm. So both diseases are very tricky.
1: can be very, very tricky. So then what did they do for Mike um, when he reported back to the office We've decided, it, okay, now he has gout. Uh, what did we do?
2: Well, first, the physician answered his question why why it was never found before, and he explained that during acute attacks, uric acid levels could be normal, and unless joint fluid was aspirated, which it wasn't, um, it could be diff- difficult to differentiate between autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis and gout. The doctor informed him that joint fluid aspirated contained many crystals, which indicated gout. Mm
1: -hmm. And so then he went on a treatment plan?
2: He did. um, The doctor prescribed L-purinol and indomethacin and began tapering his prednisone dose. Okay. He didn't want him to stay on a high dose of that too long. Got it.
1: Got it. So now Mike has been confirmed having a diagnosis of gout. He's begun some treatment. So do you know how frequently Mike should return now to follow up with his provider after starting these two medications? Or are there other reasons why he should make an appointment and get back to see his provider?
2: Well, Mike should have regular visits to see his provider. Um, a lot of times we in our institution have them come back um, every four to six weeks just just to check on how the medication um, management is going. Um, also, if Mike notices changes in his health or if he has continued pain, he should make an appointment with his provider sooner to discuss and, and evaluate his condition.
1: Okay, okay. Well, Vicki, thank you again for another great podcast on demystifying gout. In our next discussion, I believe that we're going to get an update on Mike's condition and we'll also start talking about the complications and management of chronic gout. So thank you for being with us here today on Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We invite our listeners to join us again in a few weeks for a continued discussion on demystifying gout. Thank you, Vaughn.